0: In this episode, not audit, but advisory and good work always so much better than billable hours and speed and innovation on your own.
1: Oil and gas has always challenged technology. Now it's time for tech to challenge back. Come hear how the best minds in the industry are making those solutions a reality on the Oil and Gas Technology Podcast
0: with your host, Mark LaCour. Hey, folks, back with another episode. Before we get into today's show, just real quick, if you want to support the show, the best thing you can do is leave me a review. We have one right here, fantastic podcast. Bye. Got to put my glasses on by Charles it from the United States. Hey, I've been listening to the OGG and podcast for about eight months. and have learned a ton of valuable insights regarding the industry. I love firsthand learning from one-on-one interviews within the industry. Great job keeping the subject matter relevant guys. Keep this thing moving. Love it. Keep up the great work. Hey, if you want to be like Charles and get a shout out on the show, just leave me a review. It takes a couple of minutes. And it's the best way to support this show and our other seven oil and gas podcast. All right, today, before we get to our guests, big shout out to Flator for sponsoring the show. They are literally the leader in industrial internet of things. So if you're looking at IoT or you want to learn about IoT, reach out to Flator. Great people doing a great work and they're sponsoring the show because we love them to death. We're lucky enough to be sitting here with Kirk King, who's a partner at Opportune. How you doing today, Kirk? Doing great, Mark. So I've known Opportune for a very long time and before we turned the microphone, we were talking and y'all have changed. So <laughs> I don't know you as well now as I did then. So I want to kind of start from the beginning, Kirk. Who is Opportune and what do y'all do?
1: So- we're a professional services firm that only focuses on the oil and gas space. So we started in 2005 by David Baggett, and at that time it was created to be a transactional advisory firm. So we would do a lot of a financial advisement on M&A deals, particularly in midstream space and upstream space. And over the years, David decided to build a company that would be a one-stop shop for any advisory services someone might need in a transaction. M&A transaction, or it could be an IPO, could be M&A, could be divestiture, could be a debt offering, things like that. So, brought together things like tax, valuation, due diligence, financial reporting, SEC reporting, hedge advisory, and then we got into process technology, which is the group that I co-lead with guy named Matt Flanagan, where also can apply the business process change management, technology applications, things like that. So. We do basically everything an oil and gas company would need from an advisory perspective. We have a reserve engineering group, forgot about that. But we don't do audit. So that's about the only thing we don't do.
0: Yeah. One of the things I love about you is your people are from the industry. You're not hiring consultants from Silicon Valley. Nothing against you, Silicon Valley, no hate mail. But your company is staffed with people that not only know this industry, but have worked in this industry.
1: Exactly right. And, you know, I've been here 10 years, and I remember when we started, or when I started 10 years ago, the average years of experience for any of our consultants was like 12.7 years. Years. and that's act went up for many many years after that as we all got kind of older and gray hair but even to this day we have three three hundred employees and the average years of experience is over 15 and really our clients they, they tell me they appreciate the expertise that we bring and what I also say is that our employees have decided to build a career in the oil and gas space and whether that was they worked in an oil and gas company, upstream, midstream, downstream, or they, they've always done advisory services at you know a consulting firm in this space. Being here in Houston, we have offices in Houston, Dallas, Tulsa, and Denver. And that's because those are where oil and gas is. And certainly we work in places like San Antonio, Midland, and those areas as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. As part of the podcast, we've start doing these live events. We're actually going out to Denver next week to launch our newest one, but we have one in Midland as well. And so one of the things that Opportunity does that I think is really cool, not just your people have the oil and gas experience, but you're really out there to help your customers solve problems that they just need a little bit of help with. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, you know, I've been doing consulting for 26 years now and I often describe the consulting industry as our catalyst for change. We're catalyst to get things done. You know, our clients, have day jobs, you know, they have great ideas, they have great people, but they're trying to, you know, get bills out every month and they're trying to drill wells every day and things like that. And they just need oftentimes in you know some arms and legs. And so, you know, we view ourselves as, you know, strategic partners of our client, but we view ourselves really as an extension of their staff. We work for them, we work with them all along. We definitely don't work on the opposite side of the desk. We work on their side of the desk. We certainly view our our objectives and our mission is theirs. And hopefully our clients feel the same way.
0: No, they do. I've known y'all for a while. I've known several people that work here. I've known several uh, large operating companies that have talked very good about you In fact, y'all got a really good comment, compliment a couple of years ago from somebody that basically said you're the only consultant they've worked with that they believe you're not trying to increase your day rate. You're trying to solve the problem, and I love that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, we really do try to work as quickly and efficiently as possible. We, you know, we view it that if we do good work, our clients will hire us over and over and over again. I mean, yes, we're in the business of consulting, and that is. And Balls billing for hours, but we're of the mindset that if we do things efficiently and quickly. They'll they'll keep coming back, yeah. um, and we, we want to be viewed as high quality. You know, we're not a staffing firm. No knock on that. It's just a different model. We want or you know, hopefully, adding highly valuable services, but doing it quickly as we can.
0: Yeah, and speaking of highly valuable services. Let's talk a little bit about the work that you do with Salesforce because a lot of people when they think of Salesforce they think of CRM and it's way more than that.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's probably the you know joke we talk about is Salesforce is probably hindered by the name being sales and you know we've got some statistics from them and that you know 66% of their business their revenue nowadays is not in sales. It's not in their sales cloud. They've got service cloud, they've got communities which is kind of portal and how to collaborate with other people. They got IoT platform, so you know oh, field service is a big one. So really, we're working with clients and Salesforce and trying to broaden that message and, and enlighten clients on how you can use the Salesforce platform, not just for sales but for the whole life cycle of dealing with your customer. And when you're dealing with whether it's a customer and you call it customer 360 or you know full life cycle, it's pre-sales, yes, but then it's delivery of the product that you're trying to do and then it's the service side. so it's an ongoing relationship that doesn't just stop and end with sales.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting. Salesforce is actually coming on this show in the future as a guest because their platform is a technology platform. Don't just think of sales. It is literally a technology platform that you can layer anything you want on. And I think it's really cool that that you all are using it to help the midstream. Well, everybody, but today we're talking a little bit about midstream and downstream companies, especially around process, right? Process control, all that sort of stuff, which is a mess.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you get into everywhere in oil and gas, but certainly midstream, downstream, chemicals, it's very complex you're dealing with a lot of different aspects you've got field operations you know so they got assets out in the middle of Midland or middle of nowhere and then you've got corporate offices whether Houston Dallas wherever you've got suppliers you've got customers you've got oilfield field service vendors that are also helping you it's a this big collaboration of parties involved in disparate locations and so in a barely unstandardized way or historically at least and so how you make sense of that and how you become highly efficient, how you innovate is really, you know, you need to embrace, I'd say, a platform-based approach. Because, you know, we've gone through a couple of decades of relying on on the monolithic ERP vendors or very specific revenue systems that do one thing and one thing only. But really, they've left clients with extremely expensive legacy systems that aren't set up right now for the cloud they're not set up to really collaborate outside your organization and you know if our clients truly want to innovate what i'd say is you're gonna have to do it yourself but most of my clients are not i'd say almost all of my clients do not want to be computer programmers you know they don't they will not want to have a huge it shop and so some of the low-code platforms that are out there and salesforce being a leading one really lends itself to empowering you know, my clients to build processes, collaboration, data transformation in a, in a real quick way. And, you know, they're seeing the benefits of that.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. So, um, you know, the elephant in the room is, yes, all the big ERP systems are just cumbersome to work with. They're, they're hard. They're not intuitive. And so what happens is then companies bring another layer of usually contractors to write code to make the interface, the GUI, more user-friendly, which is ridiculous. right? Why would you do that in today's modern world? And so what you're doing is actually helping building tools in a Non-developmental way, so basically configurable, drag and drop type of stuff, on the Salesforce platform, so that your clients can actually see the reports they need to see in real time, so they can get the data they need, not get the data they don't need, not have to comb through, you know, click thirty-seven different buttons to so finally get to what you're doing, but stuff that's real and actual. And I just think that's awesome. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mentioned clients don't want to be custom computer, custom program developers. But I kind of point out, they really have already done that with the ERP vendors. Yeah. Most of them do not implement it out of the box, as we say. The out of the box is probably the, the worst cliche out there because there's nothing that really works out of the box in this space. And so you end up paying developers or the vendors to write code to make called a manufacturing-based accounting system work for an oil and gas industry or work for a, down, a midstream company or downstream company. And so really what we we're, the message we're sharing with the clients is, the Salesforce platform allows you to, one, either tailor, build their business process the way you want to build it, the way it works in your industry, and then just integrate into those systems. And it's not just the ERP systems like Oracle or SAP or Microsoft, but it's also, you know, a gas plant system or a field measurement system. You know, everything that's needed in order to do a process process typically exist in multiple systems and so let's build business processes so that your organization can run the way you know you want to run the way you're part of the oil sector energy sector runs and that's the way you drive efficiencies I mean that's where everybody is right now how do I drive everybody asks how do I reduce GNA and I'm like well If you're relying on these legacy software vendors, you're going to be woefully disappointed. You got to take control of that yourself. And I don't recommend anybody starting from scratch. So let's start with a platform. Let's build on that. And let's find the other thing about a platform is it's a single place to integrate my data, my interfaces, my processes. And so, you know, we find that that's highly effective to deliver things quickly.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that point up. So even though I was making fun of the big ERP systems, this doesn't mean anybody has to forklift it or get rid of it. What it means is that you now have a much more efficient way to get data in and out of that system, right? Instead of somebody sitting Mm -hmm. there key punching stuff, you can automate that.
1: Yeah, a great example is a couple of years ago when oil by train from the Bakken was was hot, you know, that a client who was heavy into that, they made a big investment, and you know what their SAP system could handle is, you know, you could put in a ticket for loading a rail car and offloading a rail car. Well, that's, fine and good. But when I've got a hundred rail cars in a unit train, I've got 200 measurements that I've got to put into SAP. So what we did is when we built a screen that just sat on top of SAP that would allow us to take in the measurement from the measuring systems and show an entire unit train all at one time on one screen. And when the client looked at it and they could look at over in shorts by rail car, we could update the ETA on our delivery via the rail third party rail system. Once they do that, then they hit save or they say acknowledge and we just go and create the two hundred tickets in SAP via an interface, right? So we were doing the same thing that SAP was doing, but we're giving a what I call a purpose built user interface to the scheduler so that they can work more efficiently. They thought it was great. And like I said, and really the reality is the final product was exactly the same thing they had before, which is, you know, we saved two hundred tickets into SAP. But how they interacted with that was as game changing for them, how they worked with it.
0: Yeah and it's interesting I'm watching this new younger workforce come on board and they grew up with consumer grade technology and when they see a native SAP interface mm-hmm. they don't know what to do yeah. right so in some ways you know doing this is helping not just increase productivity and efficiencies but this may actually even touch employee retention a little bit
1: Well absolutely and you know retention's important and it's I'm not in the millennials are difficult to work with or causing the problem or it, it's just the way they're used to working or their expectations is honestly our own personal expectations of how I interface with United Airlines or amazon.com. It's just, you know, no one wants to go back to 1995 when you printed your, or received your airplane ticket in the mail and had three copies of it. Right. And so everybody's comfortable with that, but yet the oil and gas industry hasn't done that yet. And in full force. So, you know, I think that's, we can label it because the millennials want to work with new new technologies new interfaces but i I just think it's actually their representation of where we are today in society
0: yeah and i think it's kind of a little bit bigger than that too and like you i don't knock millennials i I got a couple that work for me and they're freaking awesome they think (laughs) differently yeah yeah in a lot of ways, they think better than me. But it's, it's really interesting when you're talking about the hesitancy of the oil and gas industry. And we all know why, right? This is a risk-adverse industry. We're one of the few industries where if we make a mistake, people die. So you don't want to change a process or a tool if nothing blows up, nothing leaks. We get that. But for 20 almost 25 years, I have been going, why are we using Microsoft Excel to do X, Y, Z? Because this industry uses Excel for – nothing against Microsoft Excel for stuff it shouldn't do. And we we haven't ever – sped up that technology adoption curve, but I'm seeing it happen right now. And what I'm seeing happen is this new younger workforce is coming in and go, this technology needs to be changed, or this process needs to be changed, and we can change it without incurring additional risk. I think they just think differently and go, well, we can manage the risk too and have cool stuff. And so I've seen more stuff change probably in the last five years mm-hmm. than I've seen change in the last 20. I think it's awesome. Yeah. Well,
1: I've done system implementations for 25 years and I'm amazed at how many times I get resistance from a client that says, well, or maybe an internal auditor or you know an accountant or somebody that says, oh well, we're not ready to go live because it doesn't do this one thing, and I'm like, well, you hired us because what you had before didn't do 15 things, just because now we can do 14 of them, but you're going to hold this up because of one. You know, it's like we we're so much better off than where you were before. Let's go, let's keep moving, and we'll fix the one thing next week or next month or whatever. But this resistance to change needs to be overcome and just because the benefits, you know, are so much better. And that's you know, this agile methodology people use is great in the sense that let's continue to innovate, but let's be I guess embrace the I'm going to deploy things and use things even if they're not perfect and I'm going to continue to work and improve on them to make them perfect. But if you're waiting for perfection as your standard for a go live or acceptance,
0: you're just going to be waiting a long time. Yeah. And the truth is it's never perfect. It's I don't never care how much work to do. And even if you try to make it perfect when you're finished and if it is fit your version of perfect in six months, that version of perfect is going to change anyway.
1: That's that's another reason why, you know, I encourage clients to use platform development is, is that, you know, Even if you paid those ERP vendors or these other legacy software vendors to tailor their applications to your business process, next thing you know is you decide to get into a different basin, and the business processes there are different. Or you were predominantly an oil company, and now you went and bought a bunch of gas wells. You know, things change. And... The way it works is if you're relying on these third-party software vendors is, you know, you have to talk to them about the gap, then you have to pay them to fix it, honestly, which is really interesting. You pay them to fix it and put it in their product, and then they release it into their next release schedule, and and then you have to test it, and by God, then you got to make sure they didn't break everything they already had. I tell, it's usually a year and a half before you ever see anything. And by that time, heck, you may have divested of that business unit. And so, you know, you need the, the speed of innovation. You need to be able to take control of that and be able to do that on your own. And I think that's what platforms will allow you to do.
0: Yeah, it's really cool because what it does is you don't need the need or you don't need as big a need for at dev people. So you don't have a room full of people slinging code. You actually you just configure it yourself.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, and trust me, there's there's a need for the app dev people, and I use that for there are two specific purposes. One is integration, because no matter what we do, business processes, as I said, span systems and things like that, you have to be able to integrate in order to make that process effective. And the other side is the user experience side. So the declarative sides of these platforms are nice, and you can get a screen up in a matter of a couple of clicks. But some things around, whether it's validations or usability, you know, there are reasons for app developers who can tailor that that user experience experience to be perfectly aligned to, you know, in tune with the business problem they're trying to solve. That's how you get efficiency. And the other question I always ask clients is, why am I building a screen in the first place? What is it the user is looking at and doing that I can't automate? So that gets into artificial intelligence or just business rules and things like that, which is, it's a, that's a really interesting conversation with clients that are open-minded, which is for each screen, what's its purpose and why do I even have it? If it's a report, people make decision off of great but if it's a screen that someone's doing an action i want to be able to understand what's the thought process that they're going through and then i want to see if i can automate that and if i can do that then we really get scale and efficiencies and reduce gna and get probably get closer to what everyone would like technology to be not
0: what it was promised yeah so i want to kind of back because we talked earlier about midland and if the audience doesn't know, Midland's right smack in the middle of Permian. The Permian Basin, as we all know, has exploded, right? But there's a constraint, and that constraint is getting those hydrocarbons to market. And the most effective, efficient, environmentally safe way is pipelines, yes. right? And so now there's this boom in pipeline construction. I'm sure y'all are hip deep right in the middle of all of that.
1: Yeah, well, first thing that happens, so pipeline is the preferred choice, but that takes time. It takes It's expensive. you got to make sure those, those wells are producing at such a rate that they're not depleting fast enough to where you can't just. By the cost, so actually the first thing that happens is trucks. Right. And historically, what's happened is the U.S. has moved from an offshore development mentality onto into an onshore. And when you're doing offshore, when you're doing super tankers bringing oil from South America or Middle East or whatever, they're bringing say a million barrels at a time, and it gets offloaded into the, the ship channel. Well, a million barrels comes in really as one ticket, and if I've got you know bad business processes handling that one ticket. So be it, no big deal. Well, the move to onshore in Midland and everywhere else is now to get that same million barrels. I've got to send five thousand trucks to pick up two hundred barrels at a time, which gives me a million tickets. Right, five thousand trucks, and now I'm di- so that volume of tickets all of a sudden breaks everything. That was it was a bad process. It makes it horrendously unacceptable, right? And the other thing is those five thousand trucks. I'm now probably dealing with. 15 or 20 trucking carriers third party companies that are not affiliated not in my case so now I'm dealing with additional suppliers, additional standards. Some of them are mom and pop. So I get all kinds of, I get handwritten tickets I get, or I get electronic, whatever. It's just the onshore has created so much variability that you have to account for because you can't make the choice of it. I'm just not going to do it. You have to account for it. That it creates a whole lot of back office headaches. And so pipelines are great. They help make that process better. But then pipeline, you've got a lot of construction going on. And so, you know, you're dealing, because you're, you're touch. You'll touching the same number of wells. And so, you know, you've got, same similar problems they have with natural gas, which is well hookups and construction costs and timing and then all those kind of things. But it's a big problem. The industry really works well in a I call it a bulk manner, but the gathering is still you know very challenging and problematic.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because in the old days pipelines were very analog, right? SCADA circuits <laughs> controlling everything. I'm not going to tell you which super major it was, but back when I worked at Bell, we had one. Issued a trouble ticket incorrectly, and it shut off their entire SCADA system in Louisiana. And you talk about people's phone ring quickly. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah.
1: No, no, I mean that's that's one thing. You know, the oil and gas industry, I think, has this a reputation of not being very sophisticated. Yeah, that couldn't be further from the truth. I'd say the back offices are fairly unsophisticated, but out in the field, those are highly sophisticated. And you're talking about, you know, uh, the projects that affect the flow of hydrocarbons are a whole nother beast. And, you know, you've got to have everything perfectly ticked and tied and tested and, 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 and secure, right, with the cyber, cyber terrorism and all that stuff. you Those uh, assets are pretty hardened out there because they have to be run, run reliably and run 24-7. They can't go down. And if they go down, they don't operate very well on the on the way down or the way back, even the way back up. And so you want them to be up, you know, same uptime like a server. You want them uptime 99.9% of the time. So
0: Yeah. So the where I was going with this, which I'm glad you brought up cybersecurity, it's almost like you read my mind, is in the old days, if you wanted to hack a pipeline, you had to drive out there, cut the fence, scrape the wires, the insulation <laughs> with the wires, and attach the alligator clips. Yeah. Now, because everything's IP traffic, yeah. there's many more entry points for the bad guys, right? Yeah. So things like cybersecurity, which used to be only the CSO and the CIO would worry about, now the business of oil and gas has to worry about. So I'm sure our yeah. Opportunity is very plugged into that whole cybersecurity world.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and you know, I can't even name the clients that have have had, I guess, cyber attacks and have to involve, whether it's the networking vendors to help you know provide cover for that, or they've had the law, you know, FBI and other types of uh, regulatory entities come involved they're all getting hit so it's not one client or another they're all getting hit and that could be power plants we also work a lot with power plants transmission lines it's it's anything and everything out there is a target you know i do think one of the impetus for moving to the cloud has been cios saying i can't staff the cybersecurity people both cost effectively and also skill wise because as soon as they are good they get poached by somebody else and go make a lot of money so i think the whole thing is hey i'll trust Microsoft, AWS, Amazon, Google over my ability to staff this reliably, you know, going forward. And I think that's a big move to the cloud, big reason why we moved to the cloud.
0: Yeah. A lot of people, especially if you're my age or older, don't understand that going to the cloud is actually more secure than having it on prem. It's just the security is different. Yes, absolutely. All right. So all this stuff we're talking about is really something that is a buzzword but it describes the story perfectly, digital transformation. We're literally, as an industry, moving out of the analog world. right? And we actually talked about data a little while ago. This industry's always been a big data industry, back even when it was paper mud logs. Right? We just never use it effectively. And now companies are starting to look at this as an asset or a competitive advantage, like, can we use our data effectively? And I'm sure y'all are plugged into those type of projects a lot.
1: Yeah, you know, I look at it too as, you know, 15 years ago, maybe in 20, you know, people were do- building data warehouses. So they were there's been data around for a long time and they're trying to pull it all together and normalize it. And largely that was for reporting. But I'll say as a general statement, that stuff was very stale, hard to maintain, certainly couldn't adapt to new types of businesses you're in. You know, and then, you know, you had tools like Tableau come out that, you know, are real effective in presenting data. But you can't really do anything with it. Meaning, I think there's a move now to present data in a way that allows the, you know, say, the operator, the person looking at it, to actually act on it. So, you know, I want to. If, if an alert comes, I want the system to tell me what should I do with that alert. Or if the alert comes for a piece of equipment, I want the system to say. You know, here's the maintenance history of that piece of equipment or, you know, here's the spare parts that we have or, you know, things like that. Right. So or predictive failures. Right. So the whole thing, it's all data driven. I have to be so first off is get there's getting more data, I'd say, from the field has come has. Emerge more. It used to be kind of isolated to the control centers and things like that. That's coming now, being unlocked and being brought into, say, the uh, corporate office. But the other side is, it's so much data uh, yeah. that how do you process it? And you know, how, how do you process that quickly? Another reason why the cloud's really beneficial for that. You know, and how do I how do I make sense of it honestly? So.
0: Yeah, and a big problem with that is the quality of the data. A yeah. lot of people don't understand if you have a little bit of bad data and a bunch of good data, it's none of it's good. Yeah, right. And that's a hard thing for people to pull out. It's a great place for machine learning. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No. Absolutely. And, and we have some you know, companies we work with that. They will scan. So there's still a, still a lot of this business historically has got paper documents, PDFs. At, at best, well, at best they have PDFs. They may, they may still have filing cabinets, but there's companies out there like ThoughtTrace that will scan the say a lease agreement or a right away agreement that was honestly I've seen them that were typed up and signed in 1945. You know you can see the old typewriter. <laughs> you know looking looking text on it, and they can scan those and they can you know pull out the meaningful provisions in that contract. You know, and and they say, you know, they're 90, 95% accurate. I challenge, I bet some of the humans looking at that, you know, when when you're looking at 50,000 pages, they can process that in an hour, day, whatever it is, in a short period of time and be 90% accurate. I mean, that's incredible.
0: So. Yeah, and just go on record, neither one of us got paid by ThoughtTrace. ThoughtTrace is <laughs> actually the <laughs> sponsor of our Only Gas Legal Risk podcast. You uh, didn't know that. Hey, I, yeah.
1: I, I know I know yeah, them. We, we, Obertune works with them, and I, I know their CEO. And they are a fantastic company that's getting a lot of buzz because they've been successful. Well, what I
0: love, not only can they read it they under the AI understands it. And that's a hard thing. I mean, you got to go to school for six years before you understand it. Right. And that's what I think is so cool. I think that's what the future is going to bring.
1: It really is. It's, I've always been a little skeptical of AI, but when they show it to you, you're like, wow, it's pretty impactful and kind of, kind of makes me worry about
0: where we're we going to be in five years from now. So. Well, what's going to happen is we, we go buy stuff we don't need. That's the real danger. Not, it's not going to be like Skynet, right? That takes mm-hmm. over the world. it's Just they're going to make us buy stuff we don't want. That's true. So uh, we're getting close to winding down the show. One little thing I do want to talk about, because we talked about this before we got on the microphone is logistics. Logistics is an issue for the entire industry, upstream, midstream, downstream, the service companies. And logistics is a place where the right technology applied with the right processes can make an enormous difference. Are y'all playing in that world too?
1: Well, yeah. And I mentioned trucks earlier, which is, you know, when you get to the logistics, many times it's third party providers that are involved with you. And so, you know, it's trying to drive standards in that industry is a challenge because there's a, a lot of. There could be guys that are ladies that have one truck and there's other ones that have, you know, 200 trucks and they have a different level of technical capability. So, you know, we work a lot with, I'd say, the consumers of those services. And what we have to be able to do is enable them to receive data and information in a variety of formats. But, you know, the other thing is in order to scale, you know, I mentioned the 5000 tickets equals a million barrels. In order, I have clients who have 15000 tickets a month. And then they go acquire somebody that's twice that's twice their size, right? Their, or see will double their size, get to 30,000. The only way to scale without being linear, linearly is by automation. And so we help clients with how do I automate? How do I automate dispatch? How do I so that might be analyzing say production or just activity to know when to when I might need to go service something, when I might need to go pick up oil. And then the other side, I've talked a lot about on the oil side, but on the product side, you know, I've got a refinery has got, you know, hundreds of trucks that come in every day and they come from different job, different truck companies, and they have different contracts and things like that. And the biggest problem they have are refining marketers is like billing. They bill every day. So it's not a monthly bill. They bill every day. And so that's a process that has to run efficiently and really autonomously every single day. And when you have problems with that it's pricing or contract data, things like that, then that disrupts that entire process. And, you know, it's it's an area of focus of how to capture the data electronically, match it up with contracts, match it up with my inventory systems, match it up with my, you know, forecasts, my supply, and do that in the most efficient way possible because the manual way is because it's so much discrete volume. You just you can't keep up unless you're just adding headcount.
0: Yeah, the other thing about this I think is so cool is you also touch HSD metrics. When you have an efficient supply chain, you're rolling less trucks. Yeah. less man hours means you have less lost time incidents. It's just like a win-win all the way around. Yeah,
1: no, it really is. And you mentioned you mentioned pipelines earlier. Pipelines are the most the safest, most efficient way to move product. And so you know that's moving to that model is great, but there's always still gonna be a need to call it the last mile for many things that, you know, are gonna be product chemicals, they have discrete packages they're they're shipping out on barges or, or trucks. You know, there's always gonna be a need for a, a pretty complex logistic system. You're gonna have every one of my clients have Multiple modes of transportation they have to deal with. They just can't pick the, the easiest one, which might be pipeline.
0: Yeah, and then imagine that globally, if you're running global operations, now you have local content, you have different weather, different terrain. Imagine you know doing work in the North Sea is radically different than doing work yeah. in the Gulf of Mexico.
1: Well, we're, and we're working with a super major, you know, on one of their global marine fleet, and that, you know, they got, I don't know, say fifty super tankers that they own, and another 150 that they lease. I mean, it's just amazing. And But they're moving those things all over the world and knowing where the ships are at any point in time, but also having the optionality to take them at, and divert them from where they're going to go somewhere else is highly valuable dollar wise to them. We're also working with clients on, you know, becoming more fuel efficient. So, you know, they're adopting the new bunker fuel standards and how do they do that? And it's changing their fuel supply for these ship, super tankers, you know, and so we're helping clients do that. We have clients who are starting up refineries, micro refineries, I'd call it only to provide provide this new bunker fuel standard so yeah, isn't um, that cool? it's, it's it's awesome I mean it's didn't exist six months ago and they're going to be live in the end of this month uh, or excuse me end of this year but they had we had to set up their company from they're building the plant so they're they opportune doesn't uh, build you know, pipes and pi- and plants, but we do everything else and we're setting up their commercial organization, their back office organization, everything because their the construction's gonna be finished and they're gonna be ready to make money. Yeah, so that that's just awesome.
0: Yeah. And actually from y'all's point of view, doing it from a greenfield point of view must have been so nice instead of having to go back and forklift stuff.
1: You know, it really is. And we've had a long history of starting comp helping companies that start up from scratch. And there's usually extremely aggressive timelines, but there's a lot less constraints and they're also willing to accept let's get we need to get going in three months and we'll worry about the shiny objects and nice features later i just need the bare minimum and get us going and then we'll do that and then we'll we'll stay there and you know kind of help them grow into a a
0: real big and mature company yeah kurt i could talk to you all day but we need to get out of here so let's kind of wind down the show a little bit so now we're at the product review stage and people i do appreciate y'all reaching out to me and want me to review your gen set your through tubing services your coil tubing all that stuff that's too big (laughs) what we review is techie gadget type stuff so kurt do you have a pair of these Yes, I Apple do. AirPods. So what we're reviewing today is the ear EarSkins covers for Apple AirPods, which are these things. Okay. So the cool thing is you slip them over the AirPods, and when you stick your AirPods in your ear, they won't fall out no matter how much you shake your head. And then they give you some noise isolation. So it's quieter, although you still can hear street traffic. They're like $10. bucks. we will have a link in the show notes if you're interested. People go check it out. The entire OGG and family loves these things, including my son. So i got to have a bunch of spare ones around because people keep taking them. They're that good. Did you bring some for me? No, I should have. Them. Oh, Mark. On. <laughs> and then uh, listen toward the end. We're still taking... Uh, volunteers for our street team. That's our global all-volunteer group. We haven't really engaged with everybody yet, but if you join, you get to help us with our social media. If we're in your local geographic area, going to an event. You can join us as part of our press team and all we ask for is an hour worth of work a week and if you can't do it we don't care because we know life gets in the way too. Then a big shout out to BCD Travel it's our official travel sponsor of choice they make sure me and all my people get where they need to be anywhere in the world on time and safely and they monitor them so if something happens I get alert saying hey there's an activity in France get your people out and they'll go get them out so big shout out to BCD Travel and then we talked about Flatour. Flatour's giving away this really cool cerebral artificial intelligence solution backpack so the Port Authority Cyber Backpack. Go to the show notes, click on the link. We give away one a week. And if you want to try to write it down, it's getflator.com forward slash podcast. And then while you're online, go ahead and go to the website, com. Give us your email address. We promise not to spam you. And then you can join our, our LinkedIn group. We're over. I just found this out the other day. I keep saying we're over 2,000 members. We're over 12,000 followers on our LinkedIn page. It's crazy. Big shout out to my marketing team for making that happen because it wasn't me. All right, so Kurt, if people want to find out more about opportune, where should they go?
1: Well, certainly the website opportune dot com is there, and you know each each of our sectors are out there upstream, midstream, downstream, oil and chemicals, oil field services so it, in there there's usually a or there is a contact person on each of those pages, so feel free to connect with any of those contacts. You can also shout out to me It's Kurt King on LinkedIn. I'm happy to yeah. respond.
0: Yeah, and so that was my next question, is that if people want to reach out to you directly, I'm guessing LinkedIn's the best way.
1: Yeah, that's great. You know, like I said, email here is kking at opportune, but LinkedIn is a great tool for connecting.
0: Yeah, and folks, we'll put links in the show notes, so you want to be right now. let go to the show notes, and you can click on both opportune's website and get Kurt's uh, LinkedIn profile. Kurt, man, this has been awesome. we got to come back and get you back on the show because we just scratched the surface we really of what do. We really did, yep. Yeah, so thank you for coming on the show. This was awesome. Thank you. Yeah. All right, folks, we're making sure that you don't get left behind one episode at a time. And here are the events on deck. Hey, guys, this is Alex. And here are the events on deck for September 2019. We are bringing Oil & Gas Tech Podcast to the Internet of Things Conference in Houston, Texas on September 16th through 17th. Joining us will be CEO Marty Sprintson of Vantique. You can register online at iotinoilandgas.com. The Midstream Networking Golf Tournament will be held on September 6, 2019 in Cypress, Texas. And the dress, of course, is golf attire. The NOV Sporting Clays Tournament will be on September 20, 2019 in Katy, Texas. Dress is casual. The Blockchain and Oil and Gas Conference is in Houston, Texas on September 18th through 19th. And the dress is business casual. That's all for September. Hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in.
1: Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Temp Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.